Good morning. Good morning. We, uh, Cameron, could you stand up? <laughs> Cameron uh, said after many failed attempts. Do you know, as soon as I heard that, I thought, he is in so much trouble. <laughs> so another thing you did not do was introduce the person who agreed to marry you. Now, what you did not know is the amount of pressure that was on Cameron from our small group. <laughs> because we kept going, did you do it yet? Did you do it yet? And he's like, dude, it was a bad week, man. It's a bad week. She's like dying. I couldn't really do it. But she is not alone. I'm going to ask Mr. J, because I only know him by CJ, so I'm assuming his last name is J. No? Where does CJ come from? Oh, what's your last name? CJS. Stand up, sir, because you have some news as well, and I want you to learn from this man's mistakes. No pressure, but I will point out if you mess this up. All right, go ahead. Right. So far, so far, this is not good. <laughs> Why don't you talk about what may or may not have happened yesterday? Uh, yesterday, started in the car again. <laughs> uh, went to a fancy brunch, and then uh, went to the Elvis Presley thing before we had our first date, and then where I asked her to be my wife. And... <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> you know, for those of us who have been married a while, I've been married 17 years. How many of you have been married more than 17 years? All the men in this room right now that have been married over, if you've been married 17 years, this is not you, but if you've been married over 17 years, I just, I, I need you to stand right now. Go ahead, get up. Get up. Don't be shy. Applaud these men right now. Get thee behind me, Satan.
Now, we should probably just end there. It's just, it's all downhill from there, I promise you. I, I want you to know why I had the men stand and not the women. <clears throat> we are about to close the book of John. And we are going to do it with a story that most men who have been married over 17 years will understand. <laughs> right now they're all like, Pastor, do not get us in trouble right now. <laughs> I did not come here for this. <clears throat> Let's get into it. Let's just get into it. And, and that will explain itself. I had more to say, but I feel like I'm burying myself in a hole, and we just need to move forward. I already have most of the women, including my wife, against me at this moment. <laughs> let's, just, let's just march on. John chapter 21. John chapter 21. Starts like this. Verse 15. Now, before we get going, let's remember and let's set the stage for where we are. Jesus has been resurrected and he has begun his journey, his multiple days of spending time not only with the disciples, but of, of appearing and, and spending time with believers all over, really, and <clears throat> continuing to teach, continuing to do miracles, and continuing to prove that he is. The Messiah. And so for this period of time that he continues to do this, he shows up in front of the disciples and they are fishing. And Peter is out in a boat with them. And so they can't catch any fish. Jesus walks up to them on shore and he tells them to cast their net on the other side of the boat. And so they cast the net on the other side of the boat and they pull up. And the Bible tells us the notes begin, or the ropes begin, the nets, <laughs> the nets begin to tear because there were so many fish that they were trying to bring up into the boat. And so we talked about Peter, right? And we talked the last few weeks about how Peter was a put-your-head-down-and-go-forward kind of guy, right? He was kind of like me and probably a lot of you. He didn't really think about the consequences that much. He just kind of sprinted to that thing that he wanted to do. Well, in this moment, it was Jesus. And I want you to see all the people that are in the boat in that moment look to the shore, and they recognize that it has to be Jesus, right? That is Jesus who's hollering at them to fish on the other side of the boat. But who is the disciple that runs into the water? Peter. He continues to prove that if there is something that touches his heart, he's going full force. He's not pressing pause. He's going to act on that thing that he is feeling. So in remembrance of that, we have to go back a little bit further. A little bit further to a conversation that he had with Jesus that you're going to remember because we just talked about it a couple weeks ago. Where he tells Jesus that he loves him more than anyone in the room. So much so he would never turn his back on him. And Jesus tells him what? You are, you will, and you're going to do it pretty soon. Right? Matter of fact, you're going to do it three times. And each time, I'm going to mark them so that they're significant to you, so that you realize them. Right? And a, and a rooster is going to crow every single time that you do that so that you hear that, and it marks it on your spirit. It marks it on exactly who you are. And so Peter, again, runs full force. Now, 
at the end of all of this, we have a moment that we call the redemption of Peter. And what's beautiful about it is in this time period, in this span, there was nothing that Jesus had to do in order to bring Peter back home. It was all up to Peter, right? We talk about in our salvation journey that it is our decision. It's our move, right? That God has given us the freedom to decide, the freedom to decide whether or not we're going to believe, the freedom to decide whether or not we're going to be a disciple. We still are making those decisions, right? We've talked about a hundred times in here, probably more, the difference between being a Christian and being a disciple, right? A lot of people say they believe in Christ. Very few people actually obey him. So in this moment, Peter sees Jesus, and his heart has been crying out since those denials. And he sees him now, and he sprints to him. His heart leaps to him. And so Jesus, at the end of this, he says, hey, grab some of those fish. Let's go over here, and let's have breakfast together. And he sits next to Peter, and this is how he starts the conversation. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Now, the first thing we have to recognize is what he called him. Simon, son of John. Did he call him by the name that he gave him? He calls him Simon, son of John, which means, Simon, before you knew me, is what Jesus is saying. Before you knew me. Because you have made a choice. And so you at this moment are not Peter to me. You're Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these? You remember the first, one of the first statements we just talked about that Peter made to Jesus? Now Jesus is bringing it right back up. Hey, hey, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, there are a lot of different ways you can interpret that. Jesus could have meant, do you love me more than you love fishing? Do you love me more than you love this job that you have on the side? Or do you love me more than these disciples, as so you claim? Then you can ask yourself, well, was Jesus being vindictive? Was Jesus being mean? Was Jesus trying to upstage him in front of all of the disciples? Or was Jesus earnestly trying to get to the heart of Peter in this moment? This is what happens here. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? How do you think Peter answers? Go to the next verse. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. What was the question? What didn't Peter want to answer? He said, oh, yeah, Lord, I love you. Jesus said to him, then tend my lambs. Tend my lambs. The second time, Jesus says to him. He said to him again a second time, verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, then shepherd my sheep. And he looked at him a third time and he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And at this point, Peter was grieved 
because he had said it to him a third time. Do you love me? And so he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then tend my sheep. This conversation between Jesus and Peter, we can read and we can look at and, and, and we can uh, almost breeze right past it. I think it's very interesting. It's one of the final conversations that John records in his book. And I believe that there's a reason for that. You see, I think so often our spiritual journey has become so about us that we lose what is the true calling of Christ to his disciples, and that is that you move on it. And so what Jesus was saying really, and I don't think Jesus was really trying to rub Peter's face in his mistake. I really don't believe that because I, I don't believe that my Savior is that way. What I do believe is that Jesus was trying to prove a point with Peter, and what he was saying is, is if you love me, then have that same type of love for my sheep. Now, Jesus actually gives him three different commands, and here's the first one. Do you remember the first one? Anybody remember? Feed my lambs. Why did he start with lambs? They're the babies, right? They're the little ones. They need the most protection. They're the ones who need, we need to make sure we feed them. We need to make sure we secure them. We need to make sure that we're there for them. We need to make sure that we teach them, that we instruct them. There's one thing, there's one new announcement that we want to make at One Love. <clears throat> Our youth program here has had ups and downs. Let's just say it, people. It's had ups and downs, right? We have been uh, waiting for the past few months for a leader to step up. And we have one. And you're clapping for her, and some of you don't even know who it is yet. Emily. <laughs> Emily uh, is, has decided that she, the children's department is in a place right now where she has someone beautifully willing to take that over. Is Vicki here? Is she off today? Yeah, she's going to take it over, and then she's going to take off. <laughs> Did we not? We didn't record that part, right? <clears throat> but Emily has, has found a perfect time for her to be able to step out of children's ministry and step into our student ministry. We're super excited about that. Um, before we continue on, a quick announcement about that. It's right up here on the screen. May 10th is when that's going to start here at One Love. There's going to be a parent meeting on the 7th. So if you have student-aged people in your house, come here on May the 7th, and Emily will bring cookies. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing that Jesus is saying is, feed my lambs. The second part is, you remember what the second one he told Peter to do? Shepherd the flock. Shepherd them. What does a shepherd do? Keeps them together. Right? One of the worst things that can happen in a church is division. It's one of the worst things. And, and actually, God himself in the Old Testament speaks about it a lot because it happened all the time to the Israelites. And what happens whenever you have division? Well, the focus is no longer on God. Whenever there's division, the focus is no longer on God. Trust me as a pastor who deals with a lot of division. The focus is never on Jesus. What does the focus become? My pain, my agony, my frustration. 
when I realize that not everybody in the room agrees with me or wants to walk on the same sidewalk or on the same side of the sidewalk as I do or drive the same type of car that I do, right? We understand and we start to see all this division that takes place and now there is nothing focused on Jesus and everything is focused on what color the carpet is in the room. And all of a sudden you step back as a believer and you say, what is happening to my family? What's happening to my church? And so what Jesus is saying is, is make sure that you shepherd the church. And there are some of us in this room right now who are called to be shepherds in this place. To understand and see division and then to conquer that division. One of the things we've said at One Love is we will face it immediately. And that has meant sometimes that people have left here because they don't like it to be faced or confronted. They'd rather it linger. We don't linger here. We try not to linger here. The fact of the matter is, is the focus must remain on Jesus. And so the first thing he says is, hey, listen, take care of my lambs, shepherd my sheep, and then look at the last thing. What's it say? Peter, if you love me, then feed them. You know, last Sunday, one of my favorite parts about last Sunday was the gift giveaway, right? (laughs) I'm just being honest with you. It's one of my favorite parts. Do you know why it's so much fun? Because you have a chance to win. Listen, you know, at one point, if you remember, I shook those Reese Pieces, and, like, we picked them up. We're like, Reese Pieces. And literally 99% of y'all were like, Reese Pieces. <laughs> right? And I told you, I said, you can literally buy these for 50 cents at Meyer, but let's give them away. And everybody went, yes. <laughs> right? What he was saying is, is, Peter, listen, if you love me, then feed them. Because so many people in your life are going to bring you fluff. Maybe. They're going to bring you Reese Pieces. They're going to bring you Peeps. Y'all have gone way off the track here. Bring it back. Greg literally took a marshmallow grenade and threw it over there, and y'all ran right at it. But here's what happens. In your life, you're going to face so many people, and you, you know it, you do it. And they're going to tell you that this feels really good. One of the, one of the hardest parts about uh, being a pastor is, is you want people to heal. And so the easiest thing to do is to begin to instruct them on uh, these psychiatric ways that you can start to bridge the development of your pain to your healing. And so it's easy to stand up here and from a very holistic way tell you that, hey, you've got to confront, you've got to, I mean, all these things are true, they're very true, but they're only a part of the healing process. And what I want you to understand is, is you will never encounter true healing until you encounter Jesus Christ. You will never encounter true healing until you encounter Jesus Christ because nothing else can give you freedom. Other things can give you parts of healing, but there's a reason why for so many of us, 
We can go for so many years and find psychiatric help and find holistic healing and get so far in our development, but there's still things that linger on to us because it is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that those things can be fully removed from you. And so what Jesus is telling Peter is, listen, the people out there are going to get all kinds of fluff and feel good and things are going to be nice and, and pretty. But I want you to feed my sheep. And what I love about that is Peter, like we said, took things into action. And we're going to jump into Acts, right? We're going we're to jump past the gospel. We're going to go straight into Acts starting next week because we really need to encounter what it means to be a church like the church that started us all. We've really got to encounter what it means to be a Holy Spirit-filled, believing disciple of Jesus Christ church. So we're going to jump into that, but here's what we're going to find pretty close to the beginning of that. Peter is one of the first disciples to stand up and tell people his testimony and how Jesus Christ affected him and about his death and resurrection. He's one of the first disciples to stand up in a city getting ready to persecute him. And everyone else who believed, he stood up and he said, this is what Jesus did. This is who Jesus is. And this is who Jesus can be in your life. And the Bible tells us that in that moment, 3,000 plus were saved and brought into the family of Christ. Why is that? Because he didn't give them fluff. He told them who Jesus is in his life. So here's the challenge to us coming from Easter. It feels good, y'all. Right? Easter Sunday feels good. Look around you. There's about a quarter of us from Easter Sunday that aren't here today. Why? Because the week after Easter doesn't feel so good. Right? Pastor Brad's not throwing out M&Ms the week after Easter. At the end of the service, the last two weeks, we've asked for a prayer of commitment from you. That if you really wanted to understand the call of Christ on your life, if you really wanted to experience salvation in Jesus Christ, then just repeat a prayer after me. In both weeks, we've had people repeat them back to me. In both weeks, I've had people come up to me and tell me, hey, I prayed that prayer. I've had other people come to me and say, hey, somebody came to me this week and told me that they prayed that prayer. And what I'm telling you people is, is we need to get ready as a church to understand what the real calling of God is on your life. And it is not for you to come here and sit in this place and feel better about yourself when you leave. That's not why you are called into this place. You are called here to take it forward. And what Jesus is saying, as much to us as he was to Peter on that day, is if you love me, then do something about it. And you can sit there and go, oh, Jesus, I love you. And I can get into the whole what type of love Jesus was using in wordage and what type of love Peter was using in wordage. But the point of the matter is, is Jesus was up here. In the conversation, and Peter was down here in the conversation. And most of the time, we ask, you know, why didn't they bridge that? Why didn't Peter understand? Well, because Peter was dealing with guilt, right? And for a lot of us, we deal with that personal guilt. 
For some of us, it's Christian guilt, right? We believe we're not a good enough Christian. When we tell people that we are a disciple of Jesus Christ and they look at how I live certain parts of my life, then they're going to think I'm a hypocrite or things are going to happen. Or maybe, just maybe, they're going to think that you're real and that God is still dealing with you and working on you and that they may see themselves in you and want to be a part of whatever journey that you are on with Jesus Christ. Listen, people, quit trying to be Jesus and let Jesus do that. But understand and realize and know that you have been called. You're here for a purpose far greater than you feeling good when you leave this place. It is so that you do stand on rock, firm foundation. It's so that you do move forward in your faith. You are a growing disciple of Christ. And it is so that your faith moves through you and into the life of somebody else. Because I promise you, when you begin to disciple, you will experience that life that Jesus called you into. And it's crazy what happens when it's not just you that Jesus changed, but all of a sudden people are influenced by the Jesus change in you, and then Jesus can change them too. And before you know it, discipleship grows, and from discipleship is a legacy, and from a legacy is a movement, and from a movement is a change. And we can't pray for change in the country or change in the culture or change in our kids if we don't start from the very beginning to move. We pray about it, we yell about it, we vote against it or for it, but we don't move. So the difficult question is, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Will you stand with me? I, uh, I had a difficult weekend <clears throat> where I had to do a funeral on Friday and Saturday for a man who had not yet reached 35. <clears throat> and I came home to my wife, and that's, that's hard, y'all, as a family to experience loss. And some of you in this room have been there. That's hard. So I came home to my wife, and, I'm, I'm, you know, selfishly as a pastor, it's very draining to deal uh, with a family experiencing that much loss in a moment they didn't expect. And so when, by the time you get home, you're kind of like a zombie because you're, you're just tapped out. And so for two days in a row, I was just getting um, <clears throat> hit with grief and trying to comfort people that you know just need Jesus. They don't need you. You know, if you could comfort everybody in the world, you'd be making a lot more money than you are right now, Brad, right? But the truth, people don't. And so for you to share with people, and so many of them are not accepting of that response. And so I remember sitting with my wife yesterday, and I just went, oh, I am done. And she looked up to me, and she said, 
said, do you remember that moment when so-and-so came up to you and said, man, that, that service really touched me. And I said, yeah. She said, of all the people that came to you and withdrew from you, remember the one that fed into you. And there was a revitalization of my spirit because I thought, I'm focused wrong, right? Instead of being focused on those who feed into me, I get focused on those who take from me. Spiritually, we get into that rut so easily that we focus all of our efforts and all of our being and all that we are on those people who just take from us and they empty us and by the end of the day we sit at home on our couch and we click on the zombie machine and we are out but what if maybe what if we stopped focusing on those who deplete us and instead focus on he who increases us imagine the change in the direction in all of our spirits Church, I know that's not easy. Listen, I, I'm a, I'm a Bible-preaching, believer, pastor, and I got home and was done. So I know it's not easy. I, trust me, I'm not trying to tell you just flip the switch. What, what I am trying to tell you is, is if we begin to change that focus on a daily basis, then before you know it, you wake up that way. And you start to see things in a different way. The Bible tells us the scales fall from your eye. And so... My challenge to you this week is just start to change the focus. May that focus be Jesus in your life, in your everyday walk, in the decisions that you make, and in the areas that you go. And, and how about this? How about when it's not, you don't kill yourself for it. You just move on. You ask for forgiveness and you move on. You say, Jesus, my bad on that one. Trust me, I've said that a lot. My bad on that one. But I promise you, next time around, I'll look better. I'll look at you more. I'll make the decision. I'll change that aspect. And guess what? We grow. That's my challenge. Just look different. Look in a different direction. Look towards Jesus. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this moment. I thank you, Father, for this church, for the people in it. I thank you for each brother and sister in Christ here. I don't care how young how old, Father, I thank you for them and what they have been to me in my life, the support system behind me that they are. And, Father, I know that they come from you. And so, Father, I just pray that you breathe into them a fresh spirit, a new heart, that, God, they can begin to focus on you and not those who deplete us, not the sin of this world, but, Father, you. And, God, for that, I will be grateful and thankful. May we all praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we're going to take communion together. If you have not been.